They say it's a dry heat. But as I was walking down the streets of Scottsdale, Arizona this week, three minutes into my journey to an In-N-Out burger, <laughs> I felt the beads of sweat form on my forehead upon consuming my double-double and fries, animal style, and then walking back the final three minutes to my hotel room, what I realized, everyone, was that while in fact it is a dry heat, it can create quite a bit of moisture. Everyone, hello, it's the Pete the Planner <laughs> Show. That was gross. That was incredibly gross. <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself. Good oh, morning. And I was so sweaty. How can dry heat create sweat? Well, the desert hasn't been dry this year. Las Vegas is having their like wettest season in like a decade. That's yeah, we, you know. And uh, anyway, Arizona, good times. Dame, uh, I, I want to report to you live. I don't know if I did. We, we ate in Arizona at in Scottsdale at the restaurant that you and I ate at when we were there at the Fat Ox. Did you have the spaghetti stuff? Um, we had different spaghetti stuff. Let, I'm going to say it right here. I don't know who's listening to this show. Danza is. Hello, Danza. It's Thursday again already. Ha, 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 Danza. Very clever. Um, I'm, I'm going to say it. Uh, at, at the Fat Ox in Scottsdale, Arizona, I had one of the top three meals of my life this week. Really? It is, it is, one of, it is maybe my favorite restaurant in the world, the Fat Ox in Scottsdale, Arizona. Second time you've been? Second time I've been, and it is ridiculous. So anyway, that's, Kristen, if you, you ever find yourself there, the fat ox. Yeah. I mean, that's tall order because some might say that you're kind of critical. About of food. food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <about> food. <laughs> so it's quite the compliment. <laughs> Speaking of being critical of food, I was listening back to the show last week, Kristen, and, and I told Dame this. I owe you an apology. I feel like I was exceptionally hard on you. Um about your choices around Subway sandwiches. And if that's what you choose to, to spend your hard-earned money on, then who am I to tell you that it's a bad idea? Yeah, who are you? Um, I was told, though, actually, by someone who listened to the show that um, you should eat crow because the two of you looked up the prices of subs after I left the show, and I was right about the $11 subs. So who told you that my aunt did. I didn't know your aunt was a snitch. Uh, well, she thinks you guys are really funny, so she doesn't miss the show. So. <laughs> Damien, um, both you and Kristen were featured in several natural national publications this week that your Moneyline team is finding itself out in the media. Kristen, you were quoted as a expert in what publication this week? Uh, Bankrate. Bankrate.com. Uh, well, there was another one too. Oh, WIBC made a news item out of our radio program last week, which is our mm -hmm. flagship affiliate. Um, can you be a flagship affiliate? No one knows. Uh, anyway, Kristen, you were featured there. And Damien, you were featured a couple times this week somewhere. Where were you featured this week? Uh, the same one, because I'm part of the team here and also uh yahoo.com yeah I was, as a writer i had uh, i don't believe i had uh, any uh any qualifications because i believe uh pete potentially just that that was uh the introduction of the show was damian dunn who cares not related was i was went the, back uh, and listened and that's exactly <laughs> what happened because <laughs> you were like who yeah. cares <laughs> they had no idea what to call me so they just said also a writer man i feel like i just I have a standing apology to Dame. And then, Kristen, I feel like you're getting added to the standing apology. Well, Pete already apologized to me earlier this week, Kristen, because he zoomed into an exec meeting and he was like, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's so hard to be in like a, I, in probably any meeting where people, a bunch of people are in a room and then you're the one zooming in. But there was some about our exec meeting this week. I was in a hotel room and Dame was in his barn with a rotting mouse in there. And uh, everyone else was here at, at HQ. It is so hard to be part of an important meeting when you're on Zoom. Weird, Damien. What? Wonder how that would feel. <laughs> yeah, it was a totally new concept to me. It was the first time I'd heard that somebody struggled being a part of a virtual <laughs> meeting when everybody else is in one room. Okay. 
Rick Swank, bringing that big Rick energy. Hello, Rick. Good to be with you. Good morning. Always. At some point, I got to meet Rick Swank. You know what I mean? I feel like I want to give him a hug. Um, all right. So before we get started this week, I I need to share um, an uncomfortable story with you. <laughs> Worse than the desert story. Worse? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you may know that I tend to pay my mortgage in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's a thing I do. And I love it. So I'm not, I'm not apologizing about that. But I will note this. Number one, when I did it this week, I was wearing a pair of jeans and a camouflage button-down shirt, sort of a fashion camo, if you will. It was a Luke. I was serving Lukes, okay? Mm-hmm. And so I pay my mortgage. I'm, I'm doing it through the drive through this time. I've switched to the drive through I don't go in anymore. I do it through the drive through because I like the tube. I like when it goes... Mm-hmm. And it goes That's up, fair. and then it comes out. I like it. and But then I sanitize because who knows who's been up in that tube, you know? And... Um, the woman, uh, the teller, whatever, uh, sends the t- tube comes down. I open it. She goes, there you go. Thanks a lot. And thank you for your service. <laughs> sh- I'm wearing camo. Stolen valor. <laughs> I know. I know. Just wait. Just wait. So I'm like, I, you know, I'm, I'm off guard. Cause I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a no, no. service. And, what? and I you're, didn't want to go ahead. You're not off guard. You're, it's not your weekend. I would, I would let one go. That one crossed my mind. That was funny. And so I said, "Thank you." <laughs> I was like, I didn't know what to say. And that's when it turned into stolen valor. The moment I said thank you, <laughs> stolen valor. You know, is is that really so bad though? Because like she was trying to do a nice thing, I and know, you didn't have to valor. embarrass her. Nah. Um, it's fine. I think we've talked about it, Dame. You and I maybe we've talked stolen valor on the show before. It's my favorite thing. It's I, this I is feel a like recurring it's been a long thing? time, but I think we might have. So, Kristen, <laughs> I mean, you you have. I'm curious on your insight on this because, um, there's all these videos online where someone is not in the military yet for some reason they choose to dress in the military and put themselves out there as a hero or, or these right. different things. And so when the, when the moment of exposure comes, when someone, you know, calls the person out and they're filming it, I just love, <laughs> I love when people yell stolen valor. Like, I don't know why <laughs> I, I just, I find it to be, I don't know why I enjoy hearing people yell stolen valor so much. <laughs> so well, I like I'm driving away from the bank and I'm just I'm looking at myself in the rear view. I'm like and I'm going stolen valor, stolen valor. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Anyway, good morning, everybody. I gotta get we gotta hurry up though, because uh Big day. Big day. Sorry, Jeremiah. Okay. So um, whose segment's going first? Kristen, you sent me yours on a thing, and then Dame's was a thing. Um, Let's go. I'll go third. Let's do Dame first. And then Kristen second. Does that work? Yeah. Pull up the old clock here. Oh, I've got a good... Teen money story for you here, too, later on between the breaks. Teen money. Please remind me, Dame. All right. Teen money. In three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And what will happen next won't blow your mind. May make you smile. Could lead to another email of anger. Who knows? We'll answer your question on the air or not. Uh, joining me as always is, and this is important, and I do care, and you do too, the vice president of advice at your money line, Damian Dunn. No relation. Say it louder for people in the back, please. Everyone cares. And Kristen Alanius, uh, director of education at your money line. Hello. Hello. All right, Dame. So you had a question this week. Have at it, my man. My boss, about 62, is about to retire and has lamented to my colleagues about how much he saved. 
He also feels tethered to work to maintain his health insurance because he and his spouse are facing some health issues. Sorry about that. He's always been very frugal and just socked away as much as he could. I'm of a similar mindset, so I was surprised to hear that he's, quote, saved too much. Unfortunately, my colleagues aren't very financially minded, so when I asked what he could mean by that, they say something vague about him being in a higher tax bracket or needing to take out more than he wants to annually. I assume they're referencing required minimum distributions, but I didn't think that started until age 72. They're now all very careful not to save too much and warn me against my frugal saving habits. They say, ultimately, good savers get punished by the system. I wonder if his regret is centered around making too many sacrifices throughout his life for the sake of saving and now facing health issues, realizing he could have enjoyed life more as a younger man. But I was also wondering if there were are real financial reasons why I shouldn't try to max out my retirement accounts and just stick with saving around 20% uh, starting around age 30. What? First, I mean, this is like, this is where people get bad advice from coworkers. This is yeah. like, this is the epicenter of it all from the boss. Oh, oh I got too much money. Thanks, Gary. All right. So Kristen, how do you, again, how do you begin to tackle this thing? I think I need to be very careful here because I can quickly turn into a hater reading this question. I, I know, but I think that what's really happening here is a group of people who don't want to put any more money towards saving or make any short-term sacrifices when it comes to their spending are using an anomaly as justification to not save more for retirement because their boss is an anomaly and this might not even be true. Yeah, Dame, it's like uh, the local kid is a good punter and gets a scholarship and then the middle school punter's parents are like, this is why we're not saving for college. This is exactly why. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I I don't know if you remember way back when you used to talk to individuals in different uh, no. employment environments. Yeah, it's yes. been a while. Yeah. It doesn't take long to find some people who have some serious uh, misunderstandings about how finances work and how savings works and uh, what a a healthy mindset is towards preparing for retirement. And frankly, sometimes the hard work and sacrifice it's going to take to get there. And so when they see stories or hear anecdotes like this, it just adds fuel to their fire about, see, I doesn't make any sense. I, I've got to go out and buy that new whatever. And I, I don't need to put it away for retirement. So I think Kristen's exactly right. People are hearing what they want to hear to justify their own behavior. But in this case, there's, a few different layers there that we could go. Yeah, I find that intergenerational financial advice at work either goes really well or really poorly and probably nowhere in between. If the message is, hey, I got all these this money, I don't know what to do, and now you guys should make sure that you don't have too much money, like that's just that's just terrible advice. I just terrible. can't think of I can't think of Anything worse because of the context of this person's life. Maybe they had health challenges or, you know, they didn't have kids who had to go to college. Like I, none of that makes sense. So to the emailer who emailed you, Dame, I, I would say, yeah, don't change what you're doing. I mean, look, we've talked about it on the school. People, some people have regret on how much they saved, but that's not a function of a financial life. That's more of a a character and values issue. I don't, it's not a financial component. Pete, I think this brings up an interesting question on, on a comment that you just made. At what age are you and I too old to give advice to the people that work with us? That's a great question. Let's go to 43. Kristen. Our comment. What was it? 43. So last year, <laughs> last year. All right. <laughs> Wait, can we go off to timeout. Do we look younger than 44? Yeah. So you thought we were 43 or were you, was the no. joke it was last year? That was the joke. Sorry, oh, I missed it. I thought she was like thinking we looked young. That's a great question. You know what? And I'll say there's a couple angles to this. One of the complexities of giving mass financial advice for a decade and a half is that if it goes really well and uh, you know your path does continue, at some point in time, you just simply don't have some of the same challenges that the people you're serving do 
and the, the advice starts to seem a little bit weird. If I'm, you know, screaming at you about your debt and that you're not eating the right, you know, pantry staples to get out of debt, yet I'm flying on a private jet, it starts to ring a little bit hollow. Um, Kristen, I'm going to give you a second chance to answer the question and probably with your serious answer. Do you think at some point in time, uh, people of a certain age can't connect with someone who's 20s and their 30s uh, about their financial decisions? I don't know if it's as much about age as about how old someone was or where they were in their career during big milestones. Mm. Because I think there's a lot to learn from someone who had to really like grind during like, oh, wait. Like, I think I could learn a lot from someone who was in their working years then. But if you're someone who's kind of hit, which the next segment we'll talk about some timelines, but if you're someone who's hit some good timelines along the way, then it's a little bit more difficult to take financial advice from you, I think. What if you're somebody who's in their mid-40s but still wears fashion camo so you can play down and relate a little bit better to younger coworkers? That's hello, Hello, fellow youths. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I, I think with empathy and observations as opposed to judgment, I think it can extend. Um, but it, I, I think it's it's naturally difficult for an aging person, and I'm speaking, of course, of Dame and I, um, to fully grasp what it is to try to run finances in a person's early 20s. I mean, we, we're pretty good. I mean, we're pretty good at it, but but that's a fair that's a fair question, Dame. I think I'm there's to it. It kind of goes both ways, though, because we, when I got into financial uh, the financial industry, same as you, we were young, and, and I don't know about you, but I had a serious case of imposter syndrome, thinking I, I'm young. There's no way that somebody in their fifties is going to listen to some kid who doesn't have any idea what it's like to be out in the real world. And so maybe the the takeaway actually is that people are most comfortable usually talking with somebody within a, a certain range of their own age about their finances, just because there's some familiarity there. That's so true. Kristen, I mean, early in your career, which I mean, you're relatively still much younger than us. Like, do, do you ever struggle with like giving someone in their fifties advice about their retirement when given yeah. that you don't have your own experience with retirement? Yeah, of course. And I think that it works both ways because when you were talking about like an older generation talking to a younger generation or vice versa, you also can't force the recipient to take what you're saying as like fact or gospel. So like, that's the other thing too, is like people only are willing to hear as much as they want to hear sometimes. Excellent. Here's what we're going to do. Coming up after the break, Kristen, you're going to talk about how someone deals with their financial life um, as their school continues and how you have to make decisions early in your career to get out of the, the debts you find yourself in, which sort of relates to this as well. And then finally, uh, in the show today, I'm going to talk about an inheritance. How soon should you talk to your parents or family if you think you're going to get one? All that's next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. Uh, random Facebook user comments, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Mm -hmm. Those are the days of the week. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what any of that means. All right, guys, want to hear a story? Yes. Um, but really quickly, I didn't know if this was too much for radio, but again, here we are on the podcast. Um, a few years ago, one of you made the comment, I think, on the show that was like, if you're the person who saved too much for retirement, because either you saved too much or you expired too early, like, is that really a win, though? Like to say like, oh man, I saved too much because I didn't live as long as I thought I would. Like that's the best case scenario in one of those yeah. situations is like you expire early. So like, is that so good? Yeah, that's, that was me. It's like the, it, it's the idea of you're only proven right if you die and that's not the prize you want. Right. No. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I hate that. I, I mean, Again, I, I try not to, in the workplace, I try not to talk about my financial life because contextually it's just different than a lot of our other coworkers. And so I, and not because I make a lot of money, it's just because of family dynamics, because of my age, how old my kids are, how I grew up. And, and so, man, that's tough. 
Oh, Andrea, Andy came into the show uh, intrigued by fashion camo. So, you know, it was like a casual dress shirt that had a, a light green camo pattern. It was tasteful. It didn't have any patches or. It was tasteful. There was no rank on it. It was right. fine. I mean, what's what's worse, a fashion camo or like a fashion military jacket with like a pellets and those sorts of things? I think those were cute, but I don't get to speak for the community. So. All right, Kristen, are you telling me if I show up at our reunion this year in October with a fashion military jacket, like a like a senior leadership position jacket, you will look at it and go, that's cute. I think it can be worn well, yes. Damn, this has got to happen, right? We're, we're getting uh, I mean, swag is going to be in the BDU sense of of we're just everybody's getting ranked and camo. That's what we're getting. Sitting in my living room this week, prior to going into Phoenix, and my daughter says to me, "Hey, I'm about to request an app from you. Uh, can you approve it?" I was like, "Okay, sure, whatever." So it comes over because I I don't know if you know how this works, Kristen. Mm -mm. It, anytime Ollie has to wants to download an app on her phone, I have to approve it oh. digitally. Like this is a thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a mechanism of the family share plan. And so she sends it over. The app comes to me. Klarna. She wants to download a buy now pay later app on her phone so she can make a down payment on the makeup she wants to buy and then pay it off over the next few months. And, and I go, Klarna. She's like, yeah, a lot of my friends are using it. And and Sarah's like, what's that? Uh, Mrs. Planner, sorry. Uh, and I, I was like, uh, well, it's a buy now, pay later. And she, Mrs. Planner just loses it. She's like, like laughing. She's like, Ali, you have no idea what you've, what you've done. just done. <laughs> and, and she's like, what? And I'm like, Ali, that's the worst thing in the world. Like, I would have rather you come to me with a face tattoo home from middle school today. Um <laughs> That you, this is a horrible thing. She's like, Oh, you're not going to make this a radio segment, are you? And I was like, Oh, you bet <laughs> no. I am. You bet I am. There's buy now, pay later going through the middle school. Nice. You need to make a note of these clips so that you can like put them together and give them to her, like when she gets married or like graduates from school or like some milestone, because that would be so fun. So, Kristen, here's what we're doing. I was going to do it today, but it's the first week of school. We are going to, have you give her a talk <laughs> and it's going to be a segment of this show that we're going to clip in so we're going to welcome her onto the show we'll do it one day when she's at home and you're going to talk to her about why clarn is a bad idea because she can't take it from the old man she needs to take hey. it from aunt, aunt Kristen. <laughs> can we uh, can we play like really inspiring music underneath so it's like they're just walking down the beach together and they're having this deep you know conversation ollie sure. won't be able to hear it it'll just be you know All right, let's move on. Excellent. And, oh, Kristen, I'm just going to set you up. Are you going to do your thing? Yeah, that's fine. I'm basically just going to read the headline and then we'll talk because it came from a news article, but the talking points are kind of organic. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just thinking here, Christy, do you just want to come back and, and lead us off and intro the segment? We've done this. Please don't do that to me. At this point, you're a professional. You've been quoted in at bankrate.com. Yeah, but title. I had time to think about that. <laughs> you're you're basically Gene Chatsky at this point. She has no respect. idea who that is. You know, Gene's great. Gene's one of my favorite financial experts out there. It's not just because she follows me on Twitter. Okay, here we go. In three, two, one. Back on the Pizza Planner show, answering your money questions. And sometimes we even answer questions you didn't know. You had uh, Kristen Alanius, Director of Education at Your Money Line, found a piece this week, wants to share it with us. Kristen, what is getting you excited in this uh, piece that you're sharing today? E. So I saw this article titled, Three Crucial Steps That Helped a 31-Year-Old Veterinarian Pay Off 247000 in Student Loans in Five Years. So like, obviously, I have to click on it because that's what it's there for. It was clickbait. And it First, was I, would, I would like to thank him for his service. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. 
So it was the three things that he and his wife did um, to pay off this six-figure student loan, this quarter-million-dollar student loan debt in less than five years. And I want to preface all of this by saying that I am so proud of them. I think that this is great. I think that they have changed financial wellness for potentially generations, but I do not like this article. Okay. I hate these types of articles. I just want to go on the okay, record good. here. I, I, I find they're like, what a 27-year-old does to bring in $750,000 of passive <laughs> income a month. And it's like, I'm not reading that. I No one... So uh, uh, I, I want to say before you get going on this, there, there, I have some mea culpas here. Um, my daughter would love to be a vet, right? Sure. Would love it. I may have, since the early age of Doc McStuffins, <laughs> discouraged her from that path because of the financial outcome of getting a, a school in, in veterinarian medicine. So I just want to I just want to get that out there that. I have vets and I have two vets that are in my family and I, I have discouraged my daughter from that path. So now she wants to be an anesthesiologist. So, but anyway, go ahead. What did Sean Huary and his wife do to get out of uh, $247,000 of student loan? So the big, the big thing they did was that they bought two houses over this time period and one of them they sold, profited $128,000 and applied it directly to the student loans. So why can't everybody do that? <laughs> well, I mean, why, why can't there be a, a tulip mania real estate market that everyone can take advantage of and do that? I'm just like, so that comes back to when you just happen to go through life, sometimes yields really great results for you. And sometimes it doesn't because like, we talk about this. There's a group of our coworkers who were coming right out of school in like the 0809 timeframe. They did not have this opportunity, first of all. And second of all, even if they did, you still have to have money to buy the house. It's not just like, hey, I have this asset that I just stumbled upon, decided to put another 20 grand into it, which he had to do, by the way, and then sold it in like the housing market mania that we've seen over the last two years. I just don't understand why these articles are written. Like, what's the point? There's nothing anyone can do. I, why can't everyone do this? Come on. <laughs> now, the one, one of the pieces of advice he gave was really good and that they avoided lifestyle creep. So when his income changed, he was making a much lower wage, which is still relatively high, but he was making a much lower wage. And then he moved from... Um, he went from a private practice to a vet hospital. So he was making bonuses. So his income like tripled in this time. The kicker is that his bonuses were twice as much as what his first salary was, which makes it a lot less impressive because his salary was 75,000 at the private practice. And he was making up to 132 in bonuses at the hospital. So, so there is some, I mean, honestly, like looking at your career, who employs you income opportunity, mm -hmm. Cause I'm sure at the private practice, there was some benefits. I mean, there was, there's a sure. reason that it was a good idea, but then he got pretty practical. Yeah. I mean, you almost have to do that uh, for whether it's dentistry or, 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 you know, being a vet, I think you have to do a similar thing. Well, and I'm sure that there were a lot of sacrifices that came with that too, because when you're making 75,000 at a private practice, which there's no, I don't know if vet pro is like a standard term, but I have a friend that like, we've talked about like comp that way. But like when you go from a private practice to a vet hospital, I'm sure he's like on call. I'm sure that the situations he sees are much more emotionally taxing. So like it's not like those dollars didn't come without sacrifice. So I do think that that point of the article is very commendable is deciding you needed to make a move that maybe you did or didn't want to make. And it changed the trajectory of your financial life. Damn. You've said nothing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I thought it was frozen for a second. It was, was like, a great oh, conversation. No, we, I was, was kind of like, kind of like when you zoom into a meeting and you're the only person not in the room. It's kind of what it was feeling like. But, I, yeah, Kristen, you and I discussed this. It, a lot of the issues that people face around getting debt taken care of require changes that aren't going to be comfortable uh, because you've gotten yourself to a position that is un. Uh, you can't fix it. You just can't fix it with where you're at, with the income that you've got. 
And so there are a few things that have to change. You got to find a way to make more money or you got to cut back on your expenses. And if you can do both, even better. But uh, this is definitely on one of the ends of the bell curve for, for people to get out of their debt. So as inspiring as this story may be to some people, it's going to seem wholly unreasonable to a whole big swath of other people. And it almost does probably as much of a disservice than it, than it does as an encouragement. All right, I want to go a different direction here. I mean, since he paid off, paid off $128,000 of the $247,000 in debt via selling a home, you know, let's subtract that off. So that leaves them $119,000 that he's paid off. Okay, so he did that in 60 months. Let's see what that actually looks like. Um, so he pay, still paid off just, just under $2,000 a month for five years. I mean, that is an impressive effort. Yes. Mm -hmm. Kristen, to your point, the big chunks of bonuses that did that were really helpful. Um, and, and while his effort and purpose is sustainable, I, I don't think the the true mechanism of sacrifice I, I just don't know. This seems like such an apple and oranges headline to article. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and the reason I kind of wanted to talk about it today is like, because it looks like we might actually enter repayment, which I might eat those words by the time that this airs, but it looks like we might actually enter repayment on student loans. And I don't, I love these articles because I would love for them to like bring people together and be like, Hey, we can do this. Like student loans are not this impossible thing. But when you read something like this and you're the average borrower, who's just trying to make it month to month. And now you're trying to reintegrate a $300 payment into your life that you haven't paid for two years. This almost makes student being free of student loans feel like it's unachievable, which I don't want that to be the takeaway for everyone else. Well, that's why, yeah, I'd say the mindset is scalable, right? This is the, the idea that Sean with a W, look, which is the right way to spell Sean. Um, the, the reason that he made all of these decisions because his priority was to get out of debt. I mean, the reason he saw the opportunity to sell a home at $128,000 profit was, was just for that. So that is, that is a reasonable takeaway. If something is your priority, then all the opportunities that come along feed that priority. So, I, yeah, I think that's great. The other thing that he did just to note, sorry, Dame, I wanted to make sure we get the third one in before the end of the segment, is that he refinanced his student loans twice. But when you're making such large payments on your student loans and you're only moving the interest rate by like maybe a percent, I don't think that refinancing is the answer. So that's the other thing that like for the average viewer or reader, don't think that you have to refinance your student loans to be rid of them. Yeah, I think refinancing your student loan debt uh, rarely works out the way you think it's going to. It's one of those things where you're, you're, you're fresh out of school. You don't refinance just sounds smart. Oh, I lowered my interest rate. But, but what are you really doing? And uh, yeah, interesting takeaway from the article. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Coming up after the break, we're going to let Damien talk. And he's going to talk about uh, my topic, which is when you know you're going to get an inheritance because someone sort of whispers about it. How many of those details should you learn about prior to the inheritance heading your way. All of that is next right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. I'm sorry, Damien. Dave's on a Zoom call. <laughs> in my defense, ever since the week that we had like two awkward silences <laughs> in one episode, I've been like gun shy about it. I'm like, somebody's got to talk or we're going to get in trouble. Who would you get in trouble from? I don't know. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a, you're <laughs> damn right. No, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, now I'm going to have to put explicit on the show. Oh, hey, man. if there's any kids in the car, what I meant was the Hoover Dam is in trouble because of what is going on at Lake Mead. And so you need to talk to your parents about climate change. <laughs> uh, Jacob says I'm on mute. Am I on mute? Nope. Mm -mm. Damien is though. <laughs> nope. Oh, Dame was on me. Okay. What were All you right. going to say, oh. Damien? Yeah, who cares? Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. I I honestly couldn't tell you what I was oh. going to say. Oh, must have been. So a line. it was it was deep. Yeah. I do appreciate Kristen being out there submarining news stories that I had up in the queue though. 
Uh, with, Jacob with, says with yeah. student loan repayments and whatnot. Oh, sorry. Jacob's uh, joke was about mute Zoom oh. calls. Okay. Oh, sorry, Jacob. Uh, Brian Pinkins joins us. Hello, Brian, Mister Mister Pinkins. Um. Okay. You ready to go? Let's do it. Let's do it. Um. In three, two, one. Back on the Pita Planner show for my Indianapolis Business Journal column this week. I answered an email from a reader. And so actually, sometimes when you send us an email and ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com, sometimes it's on the radio show. Other times, I'll just write about it in the newspaper. And if you don't subscribe to that newspaper or you can't get behind the paywall, your financial life will remain ruined while I solve the challenge for someone else. Uh, so the question is, dear Pete, I'm 32 years old and come from a very wealthy family. Mm. I'm told I will eventually inherit millions of dollars, but I'm starting to feel like this knowledge is a distraction. I, I actually appreciate that, right? right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think about it way more than I want to, yet I don't know many of the details of the situation. I obviously want to lead a comfortable life both now and in the future, but I'm not sure how to think about the future. I hope I don't sound like a brat. It feels like one of the situations in which unless you've been in this position, it's hard to understand how it grinds on you. Uh, so that's fascinating, right? Like I buy this, like I buy this idea if there's not a lot of details and you're promised a bunch of money, but is it a promise? Like, what are you to do? And, and I, this just simply comes from my experience, uh, not personal experience, but professional experience. I've seen so many people on the other side of the spectrum from Eric, the emailer, and letting that knowledge impact their willingness to set money aside. So interesting. My initial response was going to be ignore it, pretend like it doesn't exist. Like you, you've got to prepare for your own future and develop all the good financial habits that you're going to need uh, as well. I still think there's some something there. But then I wondered if you knew what the future held for you, would you be more willing to take some calculated risks? Uh, you know, you're still trying to do it on your own. You're not taking wild, crazy swings, but maybe you were on the fence about starting a business. But now that you know that it's not nearly as important for it to be successful that first time out of the gate, maybe it gives you that little push to go out and maybe achieve something truly great on your own. And I, I want to say there might be something there too. I don't know where to come down on this. This is tough. Kristen, if, if you knew that $2 million was coming your way, but you didn't know when, how would that impact? I'm just make, picking a number, right? Well, how would that impact your decision-making about your own financial planning? There are two ways that I might go with that. But if I didn't know any other details, I would try and plan for without it. But I would push for more details because like, what if you're the guy from the last segment who took a job that maybe he wasn't as inclined to take or made, you know, you eat peanut butter and jelly and ramen to pay off your student loans. If you don't have to make some of those sacrifices because you might have this financial privilege, like, should you have to? And I don't know that the answer to that is yes. So like, I would push for additional details so that I can make calculated decisions about my financial life. Dame, how do you take into account the idea that the, the wealthy family's reality could change, you know? Um, and, and what about the priorities of the wealthy family changes? They, they say, you know what, I'd rather give this to a community foundation. Or what if Eric, the emailer, uh, has a falling out, uh, which can happen. I mean, I don't want to be like, what if aliens land and abduct Eric's family? Like, I don't want to go that route. But like on some level, some, you know, hard and fast uh, wills can change. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. I, Gosh, I, I'm sure you and I could share some stories about how uh, wills and families and second families can absolutely destroy what you may have thought your financial future looked like in really short order. But that's why I still think you need to try and plan for your own because not only do you not know if you're going to get it or when you're going to get it, 
but then you don't even know what the wealth is tied up in. Maybe it's something that could go away really, really quick. Maybe it's something that's durable and will just provide income forever. Unless you have those details, it's going to be really hard to say, yep, I'm good. Let's go with this route. So if you're going to get in the weeds, get in the weeds on this. Make sure you can get as much details as you can or as many details as you can so you can make an appropriate decision. I am probably still of the mindset that you take care of business on your own. Uh, if, if you want to get some, some information, great, but I would just rather pretend that it probably doesn't exist, honestly. And if, if you, uh, yeah, maybe you can get some assistance with, with, uh, whatever you're dealing with from your, your parents or whoever the inheritance is coming from now, if you want to take some of those swings uh, at it, if you're sure you're going to get it, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I probably pretend like it doesn't exist. I know Kristen's different. Now, Kristen is a very direct person. Kristen, how do you approach the wealthy family? What do you go and say? If you're Eric, how do you do that? I mean, you'd come out right and say it, but you're not Eric. How no. should Eric do it? Maybe approach it from the perspective that there are probably professionals involved, financial planners, attorneys, et cetera, and just say that you would really like to have a meeting with said professionals on what components of the plan might affect you so that you can make plans for your financial wellness. Um, because I think the professionals should be on board for that. I think that in their sales minds, they're probably on board for that. So I think it's kind of a nice in, and then you also have a buffer in the conversation. It's not just you and this wealthy family member having a conversation that would probably be right approach. I think that conversation also goes easier if you are employing your own attorney or your own financial planner. So you say, hey, I'm trying to do some legwork, trying to figure out what my future looks like. Uh, Could we have our people sit down and and try and uh, hash this out a little bit so I know how to appropriately plan for my future? Can, Can we have a conversation that might delve into uncomfortable? Yes. I'm reconsidering. Look, and this isn't even about copious amounts of wealth. It's just about leftover money. Can we just call it leftover money? Because it then it just feels a lot less intimidating. There could be a situation in my life in which someone has leftover money and then that leftover money goes to me, right? I have no curiosity around it. Like I don't, I, I almost don't want to know. Like I, because of Eric's point, I, I think... There's an awkwardness and a pressure um, and a, a distraction that can come with that. And again, I, 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 it's not even about copious amounts. I think truly just some leftover stuff would, would potentially come my way at some point in time. I don't feel like it's mine. I don't want to know anything about it. Um, Dame, how do you view leftover money and how, how you are forced to think about it right now? I think we're talking about two different things, leftover money versus life-changing money. Are you trying to equate the two or are no, you no, they're different. two separate I'm, classes? Okay. Well, uh, um, uh, that's a good question. I, I will just say this. I don't think I'm in a situation which is going to be life-changing money. I think it's just going to be leftover money. It could be significant, but I don't think it's going to be life-changing. But then you would argue, is any money life-changing uh, if, if you've got a lifestyle about you? Yeah, but that's a really good point. I if we're looking at the two classes as originally posed, which was the distinction I drew, unless it's life-changing, I probably don't pay attention to it or have it cross my mind on how it's going to impact my future. Now, would, would you try to press to find out if it's life-changing? No. Kristen, are you, what about you? Well, I agree with the two of you, but I think it's because we have a level of financial privilege. I think that if any of the three of us didn't have, and I mean that from a knowledge perspective as well as a stability and income perspective. I think that if we didn't have either of those things, our opinion on this subject would be different. Yeah, I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. I just like, it feels like some like Faustian bargain, right? Like this idea that you, you, this is knowledge is, is out there in front of you for, for decades. And then, how how hard wow i mean tiny violins playing for the future very wealthy people but i don't know i feel like it could just really wear on you and then with my luck 
if I really got caught up in that personally, you know, the person would end up being like the world's oldest living human who would outlive me by 35 years. So <laughs> alas, uh, coming up after the break, we're going to cover the biggest waste of money of the week and the news. I'm Pete the Planner. This is Pete the Planner Show. That's tough. I mean, it is a, it, you're right, Kristen, though. It is like a total perspective thing. If, if you're in poverty or you're really struggling and that knowledge is hanging out there, but it would also be a distraction. I mean, it would also, cause oh, yeah. I don't know if you can contextualize it. Mm -hmm. The other thing too, is like, let's say there is a huge income gap between Eric, the emailer and the person that they might inherit these dollars from. If Eric inherits these dollars as a well-established adult, like maybe even closer to retirement age, how does Eric learn to live with that money? Mm. Yeah, because if it goes to be part of your financial plan, you don't actually learn how to live with the money. You, you, you. It's found you it, be it becomes a lottery. It, exactly. If you didn't plan for it, then it's the lottery in my life. This is uplifting. Congrats, Eric. Your life's ruined. <laughs> your parents did well. All Eric's waiting for is an email back. He doesn't listen to the show or read IBJ, and he's never going to know this. Well, that's true. Um, okay. In the spirit of nothing, let's continue. Dame, I love, I love that you were described in that news card article as also a writer at your money line. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Did that hurt your feelings? No, it was hilarious. It was great. Okay. Because I feel like I'm to blame for that. And I, I had a good laugh. You're at totally it. to blame. <laughs> Not kind of. You are to blame for that. <laughs> I mean, to be employed solely as a writer, like, it's good for you, man. Sure. Oh my god, that's really funny. You're no VP. <laughs> Whatever. It, 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 Dame, your point in the Slack channel was: if the article had said no relation, that would have been a lot better. Yeah, if mm -hmm. they just could have continued the joke, that would have been great. All right, let's. Uh get into oh i'm not good at liquor prices <laughs> <laughs> uh we'll see what happens here okay uh and three two one this week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the pete the planner show is the world's most expensive mini bottle of whiskey colloquially colloquially oh boy i just mispronounced it Colloquially, I can't say that word. <laughs> Kristen, can you say coll colloquially? I can't. Try it. Colloquially. No. Colloquially. Colloquially. Nope. I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to go. Okay. I'm going to I'm going for it. Everyone stand back. Here we go. <clears throat> stand back. <laughs> colloquially. Oh, let's go. I think that's good. Referred to as airplane bottles. 50 milliliter bottles are better known for on-the-go drink-making and shot-taking than for serious collecting. Uh, time out. Having just been on an airplane a lot this week, I can, I can vouch for that. That didn't stop this bottle of Springbank 50-year-old Campbelltown single malt scotch whiskey from setting a new record for the most expensive 50 mil bottle ever sold. Uh, it was sold by Whiskey Auction last month, breaking the prior record of roughly something. I can't give you the number. The bottle distilled in December of 1919 was labeled and arrived with a certificate of authenticity. Okay. So this is a, a shot of whiskey. 50 mils I, I, is, is basically a, a 50 mils, I believe, is a, a shot and a half, um, an ounce and a half. Um. Dame, actually, Kristen, because your your liquor guesses are always worse. They're uh, terrible. How much does this fifty milliliters of ancient whiskey cost? Um, does it cost ten grand? Uh, you guessed ten grand. Friend of the show, um, financial wellness expert Phil, Phil Schumann, Schumann uh, weighs in on Facebook Live. Also says ten thousand. Hello, Phil. Um, Dame. Was this auction held on an airplane? Because that could possibly inflate prices. It's a good point, especially if it was a Zeppelin. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It would have blown up. 
pricing. Uh, I'm going to go with for a 50 mil bottle of whiskey. Do you want to know my airplane drinking strategy? Yes. Yes. I don't really drink on airplanes, but what I will do (laughs) is I will order a drink because these days, because of COVID, they won't open the bottles for you. And so I'll be like, oh, I'll have bourbon on the rocks. So they'll give you a glass of ice. They'll give you bourbon. And I just won't open it. I'll store it and take it home. And I've got a bunch of airplane bottles at home because they don't open the bottle and keep the cap. And so I do that. So I just get a bunch of free whiskey and take it home. Oh, they're free because he's sitting Your in first class. class. Okay. Uh, that was I'm a very like, little flex. Holy smokes. <laughs> what? <I'm> a- <laughs> But no, but here's the thing. It's I'm not in first class. I'm even in comfort plus because of uh, the You're amount short. of times I fly. I don't I don't upgrade. I just buy a basic ticket. I just what get is upgraded. comfort plus. It's not first class and it's not sardine. It's it's like sardine plus. They don't have that with Allegiant. Uh, Pete needs the leg room. <laughs> What's in the news this week? Was that a Planning. short joke? Was that a short yeah. joke? It was pretty abbreviated, yes. I am a short king, yes. Yeah. A short king. <laughs> but I have feelings. They're smaller. Smaller. Yeah. Yeah. You got it for oh, it. Yeah. Planning his budget for next month, Scott Hines doesn't know if he'll have the usual cash he needs for healthcare expenses. And recently, thanks to inflation, his higher grocery bill. That's because, like tens of millions of other Americans, he doesn't know if his student loan bill will be due. Quote, it's just been radio silence from the Biden administration. Uh, it's frustrating and stressful, says freelance artist uh, Hines, who lives in Brooklyn and owes more than $20,000. Kristen, got a question for you. How long have we known that student loan repayments are scheduled to restart next month? For like a year. Well, next month for months, but they've they're, they've been going to restart for like two years now, so... Okay, so uh, the fact that we knew there was a date they were going to restart and we haven't heard they weren't going to restart, people could have reasonably planned to start repaying their student loans? I've been on my soapbox about it for months. Okay. I've been on soapbox too, but it's because I can't see over the fence because I'm shorter. <laughs> um, I, it, you know, Dame, this is a cl- you and I struggle with this, Dame, right? Because this is a classic setup for an I told you so. And there's really no gratification in delivering. I told you so in this scenario. There's just, there's just not. Um, this was always going to happen. It's just like the recession. There was no chance a recession would not happen after trillions of dollars of stimulus. It was what is going to happen. And in this repayment trouble, trouble restarting the repayment always was going to happen. And so, of course, I empathize with this freelancer in Brooklyn. Um, but I also, it's like, yeah, man, where you been? Because this is like, this has been the score for 29 months. This is what's going to happen. Do you know what I think Scott was hanging his hat on? Probably an <laughs> antique uh, hat rack that uh, is ironic. Bowler the bowler in the corner. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. probably right. Uh, loan forgiveness. I, if if it would have came through with $50,000 loan forgiveness, he's done. 20 grand was sitting outstanding and uh, he, he could have washed his hands and walked away. But he, now he's got a staring in the face of restarting his student loans. It would have been a handmade soap bought at a farmer's market that smells of fir trees. Mm -hmm. I love making Brooklyn drugs. Uh, I don't know. It just makes (laughs) me laugh. What else is in the news? If you and your significant other are enjoying the dink lifestyle but are thinking about adding a kid to the family, consider this next story a potential cold shower. The Brookings Institution has determined that a married middle-income couple with two children will spend... uh, You want to make this a guessing game, Pete? How much does it cost to rear children? Yes, I don't like uh, rear as a verb. I shouldn't yeah. call that direction. Sorry. Don't rear. Never, just go. go. Middle income ki- uh, couple, two kids. Uh, youngest kid born in 2015. How much will it cost to raise them through the age of 17? How much does it cost to rear that child yes. for 12 years? 17. No, they were born. They were born in 2015. Going to raise them for 17. I'm going to go $525,000. Kristen? 
less than that, but I have no basis for this. <laughs> I didn't you know dogs. playing over under. I have two dogs. What do you got? The number? What's in your pocket? Well, yes, the number. <laughs> I thought you were asking well, what are you having for dinner tonight? Had. Hey, Dane, what are you doing next Thursday? Yeah, what, what do you mean what I got? Yeah. $310,000, Pete. $310,000. The number includes housing, food, clothing, health care, child care, accounts for childhood milestones like uh, diapers, haircuts, sports equipment, dance lessons. You know what doesn't include, Pete? Therapy? Saving for oh. college. Oh, saving for. <laughs> oh, see, I had college in there. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so like, I'm going to be honest here. Maybe this is a good way. Kristen, you don't have, uh, you, have you have you have dogs, right? Correct. You do not have little humans that look really no like you. No. Okay. So you hear this story about the money situation uh, of, mm -hmm. of, raise, of rearing children that this does not influence you one way or another because you think what you think. I, my question is no one's going to be influenced by this article. Are they? I don't think so. Do I think, think they will want kids or no. don't. No, no, not at all. <laughs> what else is the news? Uh, FDA on Wednesday approved Zinteglo, a gene therapy build from a uh, bluebird bio that treats patients with the blood disorder, beta thalassemia, whatever the one-time treatment this is where it gets interesting which helps patients who depend on regular blood transfusions faced uh, and face decreased life expectancy comes at a record price of 2.8 million dollars it's a one-time shot 2.8 million dollars the company plans to use an outcome-based agreement saying it will reimburse insurers up to 80 percent of the therapy for patients who still need transfusions that's much more expensive than the shot of 100 year old scotch that we talked about Earlier, that's all we have time for on the show this week. Uh, thank you, Dame. Thank you, Kristen. Dame, I appreciate sometimes when you write. So any good vibes, good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the Pete the Planner Show. That's expensive. Yeah. They Not think there's uh, between 1,300 and 1,500 people with this disorder in the world. Good thing we didn't put a cap on insulin prices. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can some, so <laughs> never mind. Let's not open that can of no, let's not go worms. Uh, hi, Lee. Good, glad you joined us with three minutes hey, of Lee. the show. Good to see you. So, is this creepy to say I saw a picture of Lee on Instagram uh, yesterday? I was like, well, oh, there's Lee. Did it have Lee's a picture a of his TV though with the, the backlighting and all that stuff that we were? No, so it doesn't. But can I, can I get weird? Well, yeah, sure. Like, Lee's a handsome guy. Like, he's got this look to him. You look at him, he's handsome. <laughs> I see this picture, I'm like, I don't want to look at this picture anymore. It's too handsome. Like, I don't know if I'd be able to talk to him on the street. I'd be distracted. He's too handsome. That's kind of like uh, some of those, some guys just have it and they always do. Like your cousin's uh, husband who I went to school with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. He hasn't aged in 30 years. Handsome Looks man. Like yeah. Kristen, aren't you glad you're not distracted by yeah. handsome men on this show? Yeah. <laughs> I knew that's where that was going. I mean, no, but I, I've often said, like, <laughs> I can't imagine what my career would look like if I were handsome. It would make a huge difference. I think so. Dame knows oh. my troubles. We look alike. This is what the brothers, man. Not, not related. Um, all right. I got to go. Uh, sorry, Jeremiah. Uh, Kristen, I hope you have a good weekend. I have a big soccer weekend. So I've got my iPad here with my lineups on it. And I can sub girls out. It looks like I'm <laughs> adding Polynesian sauce to orders at Chick-fil-A. The girls always think that's funny. Do you hold cards up for subs? Uh, no. Um, I scream names. Uh, but then I've gotten to that point where I'm calling girls the wrong names. I'll be like, I'll, I'll mean Remy and I'll say Riley. Or I'll mean Ollie and I'll say Molly. I'll mean Kate, but I say Katie. Because this is what it is to have 13-year-old girls. Like, they all have the same names. Yeah, I've got a Molly, a Molly, an Ollie, a Kate, and a Katie. It's just uh -oh. like, there's twins. I mean, it's just like, ah. They probably all have ponytails. And, what, and just, they all look like a, a herd of teenage girls running around the, the field. So, so I must go. Um, you know who's going to have a good weekend? Lee, because he's handsome. You can't have yeah, you a can't bad weekend yeah. when you're handsome. Yeah. You wake. Here's what happened. Here's the life of a handsome. You wake up. 
you go into the bathroom, you kind of just get a glance in the mirror as you're going to go to the bathroom. And you're like, look at that. Like, that's the first thing you see. It's like, he's tired, but look at that. Then you, you go and wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. You look right back in the mirror like, yep, still there. And then that's your whole day. Think about how much time they probably waste in a mirror, though. You and I do not suffer from that. We just no. make sure we still have a face. Other than flexing? No. I mean, yeah. don't waste any time. But, you know, here's the thing. You wonder if someone like Lee has always been handsome or is a late comer. Oh. You know what I mean? Because there's some people that are always handsome, and there's other people that, like, age into their looks, you know? So there's hope for us. I don't know. I, I'm starting to look like the end of Benjamin Buttons, or the beginning, I guess I should say, of uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Oh, he peaked in middle school. Jack Harlow's still out there getting cuter, uh, but Lee is uh, peaked in middle school. I feel you. Hmm. I'm going to go. It's getting weird. Kristen has shut down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Chris, She's so Kristen uncomfortable. I have uh, to look in the mirror to do my hair. I cannot relate to you people. Uh, I do want to apologize. Last week, I felt hypercritical of you. I, I was telling Dean, 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 uh, Dean Dunn, Christy, my, yeah. my brother, Christy. I was like, I, we were all teasing, right? But I was listening. I was like, gosh, my teasing. Like I was in, there was like a, a 90 second stretch where I was just like, like right on you. And I felt bad. So I apologize if I was rude mm. last week. Hey, maybe I'm not as soft as I thought. Um, that's true. I can yeah, take look it. at you getting thick look skin. <laughs> you know who's not, um, doesn't have to have thick skin? The handsome. Mm -hmm. Gosh, poor Lee. All right, everybody. <laughs> Stay getting money.